Hi, and welcome to This is Calvary. My name is Caroline Whitman, and I'm the Director of Communications and Care. We're in the middle of Lita Forsyth's story, and we will pick up right in the middle with part two. Lift up your shoulders, child, breathe in. Carry the weight of love you've been given. When you came back, when your mom brought you back to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. was there any immediate therapy to like help find out what happened while you were gone? Not at all. No. So it just kind of like I remember having a foul mouth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you I mean, are that's learning. The worst of it, that's not that bad. <laughs> and, and the only therapy <laughs> got was that. on my backside. Yeah. <laughs> my grandmother was a disciplinarian, and for a certain season of life, probably two years, we lived with my grandparents, and she sort of beat it out of me. And it, you know, at that time, she was not in any way abusive at all. Um, she was strict, yeah. and she. She sort of was like the cleansing of whatever had gone wrong in my life as that, in that time period. Um, she was always like the strict disciplinarian in my life. My mom was much more peaceful and kind and um, a gentle person and still is. But yeah, there was no therapy. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, no decompression. Right. Not, I mean, no. I'm just imagining, like, in that situation yeah. as a parent, trying to be like, what the, what in the world did my child just experience? Yeah, yeah. But, but then you your know, mom's a single parent, just like, right. I also have to pay the bills so that I can continue feeding Yeah, and I don't daughter. even remember my mom or grandparents asking what happened. What happened? Mm-mm. That's interesting. And your dad's storyline okay, intertwined so with yeah. your stops? Here, here it from, goes. So okay. they, the divorce went through, and he was in Ashtabula. He did come back eventually uh, to that area, and we were in the Pittsburgh area. And he was allowed to visit me if he paid child support. And I remember one visit where he took me to a movie, and I was probably seven, six, maybe six, probably six years old. And of all things, he took me to a rated R movie. Wow. I'm like, thinking of it now, like I still have snapshots in my mind. It was a James Bond movie of Live and Let Die, watching it as a six-year-old. Like, what dad Mm. in his right mind would take a six-year-old to that movie Okay, so I have snapshots of that in my head. Wow. <laughs> then he quit paying child support, and I did not see him, because if he didn't pay child support, he didn't have any rights. Okay. So we did not see my dad until I was 11. And my mom at some point said, well, I guess you should at least meet your dad. So he at that time was living in and around Ashtabula, Ohio, and probably actually living with my grandmother. So we would go visit my grandmother, and most of the time my dad wasn't anywhere around um, until really late at night he would come, and he would be drunk. So often we'd go visit, we'd hang out with my grandmother, have a nice meal, go to bed, 
my dad would stumble in at a, I don't know, two, three o'clock in the morning, stone drunk, screaming mm-hmm. and yelling. My grandmother would probably be up waiting for him, trying to calm him down. And I just remember being at her house, petrified upstairs, hearing this huge argument going on. And the next morning, we'd wake up, and it'd be like nothing happened. And there'd be pancakes on the table and cartoons on the TV, and we'd visit. And that's kind of like how our visits would go. So we, we didn't visit much, um, you know, maybe a couple times a year or something, but it was always the same. Um, my dad was an alcoholic. He was still taking mm-hmm. drugs. So, yeah, not much contact with my dad. Um, and he's still an addict. He's still alive. Mm. He's probably not going to hear this because he doesn't have internet, cell phone, computer, or anything. But, yeah, my dad's a tough one. Wow. Yeah. Still, we, we don't visit him often, maybe once every other year. It's really hard. Yeah. But we call. I do talk to him. In fact, I talked to him last week. Okay. Um, we keep in touch, but it's just really hard to visit. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking also, um, and then maybe we'll kind of get into like high school and college. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the role that um, significantly conservative Christian community played in your life. Yeah. It's it's really interesting because I, um, I think it's. Uh, my parents both had significantly dysfunctional homes. One looked good from the outside because mm-hmm. um, owned a successful company, but quite dysfunctional on the inside. And then the, my other parent uh, was like, the, yeah, dysfunctional publicly, privately, and, and in every way. Mm-hmm. And they both became believers as adults, um, and went into a very kind of strict fundamentalist Christian yeah. world. And in some ways, like where I see the like two sides of the sword, I guess one is like, it was helpful because it was just safe. Mm-hmm. Like you said, mm-hmm. it was harmful when it came to formation. Yeah. Because they're they They were addicts, dysfunctional, mm-hmm all the kind of like dad coming home drunk kind of stuff, mm-hmm. very abusive background on, on the one side. And so the like, make sure you are publicly put together mm-hmm. and don't process brokenness and weakness and sinfulness and be formed spiritually right. was just totally absent. Yep. So they just went from like, like you're saying yep. this. And so it was like, it was clearly what they needed for a season. And then mm-hmm. at some point I'm like, man, I wish they could have just had access to a Christian community. It was balanced. That a, that a pastor <laughs> could have sat down. Yes. Mm-hmm. And just been like, mm-hmm. let's go through this Wow. Stuff. You don't expect everything to be fixed right away. Yeah. Like, let's just walk through this journey right. together because right. you have a lot to unpack. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. like, they never really got to that. Yeah. You know, it was just my whole upbringing was that strict fundamentals, which for me was whatever. It was fine. It's not, mm-hmm. wasn't my thing growing yeah. up, yeah. but it was like, I, you know, yeah. but for them, it was like, man, I wish they would have had the ability to talk through their marital issues based yeah. on their like upbringing. Sure. Um, sure. And it just was never. never yeah. Happened. I, 
but I there is a beauty in it. There is. You so, know, like mm-hmm. you, you shared, you know, and that's where this I, is how I, I'm I, definitely thankful for that. Yep, this is how I see it. I see that I never touched the stuff. I saw my dad out of control. I saw his friends out of control. And even as a five-year-old, it's like, I am never smoking pot. <laughs> I am never going to drink alcohol. I yeah. have no desire whatsoever to be like them. Yeah. And I, I mean, we have occasional drink now, but I, yeah, right. I've <laughs> never touched anything, any substance whatsoever right. because of what I saw. Yeah. Wow. And I see that as God's protection mm-hmm. over my life. Um, it could have gone a whole different way. <laughs> and for sure, because of that dramatic, traumatic um, experience as a kid, no desire to go in, on that path. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, get into Act Two, maybe? Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> of yeah. high school mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. into university mm-hmm. for you, and kind of maybe describing it in terms of like as Lita is being formed and starting to express her own loves and passions. Yep. And obviously, it's coming yep. from a place of. <laughs> brokenness and hardship sure so but as you're kind of coming into your high school self and your and then university what you want to be when you grow Mm -hmm, up you know kind mm -hmm. of thing like what 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 excited lita at 16 years old so my hands were always busy we had no tv (laughs) i had no tv growing up there's a beauty in that yes (laughs) and i love to listen to the radio so Mm -hmm. You know, my mom was definitely the artist. I wasn't sure if I was going to be a real artist like her. I mean, I, I always looked up to her like she's Michelangelo. Yeah. In fact, we have a, a dear old friend that called her Michelangela. Because <laughs> this is the, I mean, her work is like Sistine Chapel mm. <laughs> in terms of huge stained glass windows. So I always saw her as the real artist. And I knew I wanted to go to art school, but I was also, in high school, I was also a musician. I I played the flute. So there was definitely a crossroads. Am I going to go to study music or am I going to go study art? And um, art one, I I decided to go to art school. After I graduated high school, my mom accepted a job in Florida in Sarasota at a small stained glass studio. So we packed everything, went down there. In Sarasota, there's the Ringling School of Art and Design, so it seemed very logical that I would go there. Um, I come from this extremely frugal family, (laughs) and my mom's education was 100% free, all scholarship. Yeah, all scholarship. I, we didn't have that kind of money. <laughs> so I worked for a year and took some photography classes and I earned enough to go to school for one year of art school. And um, that's what I did. And my mom was maybe a little disillusioned with art education and you know she didn't see it necessarily as a way to make a good living, but she she knew that for herself, she had to do artwork. She wasn't going to do anything else. So she did support me my entire life growing up with her art. And after a year of art school, I ran out of money. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to go into debt. I absolutely 
taking school loans was not part of my culture. Mm. Um, my grandparents were from the Depression. They had not one penny of debt, and I wasn't going to have one penny of debt either. So I went back to work. Uh, eventually, I met Paul, and um, we got married down in Bradenton. And then we, he decided he wanted to go back to school to get his teacher certification, so we moved up to Wheaton and lived in an apartment. He was working at Wheaton College again, doing classes to get his teacher certification. And I decided, well, I better go back to school if I'm going to work because one year of art school isn't going to really cut it. Mm. But again... It was, if I went to school, I had to be able to pay for it. So um, I decided the only thing I could afford was College of DuPage. <laughs> so I went to their, went through their program in advertising design and illustration, finished that, and went to work as a, a graphic designer at a small firm. And Paul, in the meantime, was uh, taking classes, working on his teacher certification. But again, we paid for it as we went along. And... It took a really long time for him. Finally, this is a miracle, a friend of his that he went to Wheaton College with for undergrad said, Paul, you got to get done with this. this. We were like years into it. He said, I'm going to pay for it. Wow. <laughs> and it was just such a gift. Wow. Um, he said, I am going to pay for it. Stop working, go to school full time, and get on with your life. So, and by this time, we'd been married a really long time. We put off having kids and and... So in about a couple of years, he, he finally finished and then um, decided to be a school teacher. He got a job at, for CPS. We moved to this area, to Galewood, which is a suburb right next to, not a yeah. suburb, a portion of Chicago yeah. next to Oak Park. And that's what brought us to this spot. Wow. So Paul taught for CPS, along came Mika and Nathan, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's pretty much how we got to this area. And you heard about Calvary we from... heard about Calvary because of Johnny yes. and Todd, and we thought, well, that's sort of like College Church East. <laughs> <laughs> because you guys were commuting yeah, into we were. Wheaton we were. from here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, by that time, we were actually living, we had moved out of Galewood into an apartment in River Forest. Um, Paul was kind of burnt out from teaching in the city. His, the schools he taught in were really rough, mm -hmm. and he just needed a break. So he taught in Forest Park for a little while, and just he, he had just burned out completely. So we took this really interesting position working for Berlitz, uh, ELS Berlitz. They needed someone to manage a building and take care of students, international students. So we moved into their building, took care of students learning English and a property. And God directed that. It was so amazing because it put us in a school system that would provide for both Mika and Nathan. Nathan has Down syndrome and needed special ed. Mika is a normal, developing, and very bright young lady, and she needed um, a place to grow and be educated at her level. So we had these two extreme children that were totally 
taken care of in in river forest and mm. and still are being taken care of in the in the educational system so god provided for us and it it blows me away that he he gave us a spot right next to the woods <laughs> mm. <laughs> because nature is very much a part of our our family and um my my psyche needs it. Yes. So yeah, plopped us right down next to Thatcher Woods. And oh wow. Yeah. 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 That's cool. And as your kind of profession developed, that's a little bit of you yeah. know kind of Paul's yeah. journey. Sure. And and tell us kind of your kind of growth as an artist doing it as a livelihood, yes. and just as an yes. expression, and so <laughs> yeah, your um, journey. Before we moved to this area, I was an art director at. Christianity Today magazine, oh, not I didn't the know that. magazine, but one of their publications. Yeah, okay. For a little while, and then <clears throat> did did you interact much with Harold Smith? Yeah, a little bit. Because yeah, bit. he was one of the first people I talked to. Yes. About the art youth art festival, mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. he was just kind of trying to like I think fan the flame of sure, the idea. Sure, sure. You know, Christianity and, Today bought a publication called Virtue, <laughs> which was a woman's magazine and they tried to resurrect it and keep it alive and eventually they was like oh forget it (laughs) (laughs) they couldn't like break away from that word and they already had a woman's magazine today's christian woman so i worked on virtue magazine for about a year okay and when they decided it it just needed to go and and shut down i i didn't really want to be a production person so Mm. I took a job over at Crossway as an art director oh, wow. and um, designed books yeah. for a while. And then right about, I don't know, a year and a half into that, Paul had been accepted uh, at CPS and took a job. And if you work at CPS, at the, you know, you need to live in Chicago. You have to live in the city limits. So that's why we moved to Galewood to, Galewood, to, to yeah. be cooked. Gotcha. Yeah, compliant with that. And we started a family, and it was just too much to, you know, continue. I ended up freelancing for Crossway for a couple of years, um, two or three years after that. So that was a good gig. As you were kind of coming out of university and, you know, you and Paul got married, or mm-hmm. you got married before finishing university, yep. obviously, but, uh, I mean, were you self, as, like, aware of I'm an artist yes. trying to make a living yes. as an yes. artist? Yes, I started out as an illustration major at Ringling, and I really wanted to be, a, like, a kids book illustrator that oh, was like cool. my was ambition yeah it's really what i wanted to be and um, then of like you know, fairy then you tale start books. to realize what that entails i'm like i am not good enough mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there, it i realized i didn't really have a sense of like what's my style i don't know i draw mm-hmm. things <laughs> you know uh, up to that um, point was it very dabbling in different styles or did you have a style you just didn't know how to define yeah, it i i i just really would illustrate things very realistically Okay. And I was like, there's no style in that. So um, I knew that if I was going to be working, I needed to be in graphic design. 
my my real passion was drawing and, and not so much painting at that time, maybe a little watercolor. Um, but as I became, or as I got into being an art director, I often found opportunities to do illustration. And I'd save the company a lot of money that I worked for by doing some of the illustrations for the books that I was designing. So I kind of pushed myself and really studied it and worked at the craft. Mm. Um, after we moved here to the to Galewood area, I was just basically a freelance designer and pretty much settled that I would be a graphic designer. But restless, always restless. I, I wanted my hands to get sticky, you know. I wanted to get into things. I loved to, to sew and to crochet and to make stuff and build things. I, I like to do all kinds of things with my hands. So I, I felt a real restlessness with sitting at a computer. Mm. So somewhere in there, before kids, but living here, we went on a missions trip to Russia. Where in Russia? Uh, Kaluga. Okay. Which is, Where is that south east of Moscow. Okay, so on the more western yeah, side of yeah. So Russia. Paul and I were part of a team of about 13 people, and we helped run a summer camp for kids in a really, really, really almost third world situation in Kaluga, Russia. And working with those kids sparked something, and I was like, I am not going to sit at a computer the rest of my life. Um, I have got to work with kids. It, mm. it was just like something, some switch flipped. Mm. And we came back from that trip, and I remember sitting literally across the street from where we're sitting right now, where that tall building is, there was a pancake house. Do you remember that pancake? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're sitting in that pancake house, and we just come off of this trip. You know, it's like really culture shock. And we're sitting at this table, just Paul and I. And there was this group of men sitting at the table next to us talking about their golf game and their cell phones. And I'm like, I've just been to Russia. <laughs> I've just worked with kids. I've just had the most meaningful experience of my entire life. And you guys have this shallow golf life, you know, just... I am going to do something with this. And I didn't know what, but ideas started to form. And I, I thought, I need a studio where kids can be creative. Because I saw the spark in these little children's eyes when we brought crafts and sports to them in Russia. And I thought, that is, there is something magic there that I need to, I'm going to find it. So the idea was sparked for the Little Bits Workshop. Fast forward to being in River Forest, living in this building with Mika, Nathan, and I, and Paul. We didn't have a mortgage at that time, so it freed me up to think, okay, we've got a little bit of money left over from the sale of our house. And one day we're out for a walk, and we saw this place on 411 Park Avenue in River Forest for sale. It was a building. I thought, well, I can't afford a whole building. But... Ah, let me check and see what what's entailed, what's for sale. Well, it turned out it was only the bottom unit of the building. 
And this was a time, this was like 2009. The real estate market was crashing. Um, and I looked, I called, we had a realtor friend and I, she called and it was a little condo. I thought, well, that'd be a really cool studio. It's across the street from the school almost. And it was like 130,000, something like that. And I said, Lord, hmm. is this, do you want us to buy this? I said, okay, I'm putting out the fleece. Like, you know, that story in the <laughs> yes. Bible about the fleece being wet or something, in the, yeah. the dew. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer this guy 70,000. And if he says yes, I mean, remind you, it was 130. I think it had come down to 90,000. I'm going to offer him 70,000. 70,000 for something in River Forest. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Yeah. They said yes. Wow. They didn't blink an eye. There was no dickering. They said yes. Yeah. We bought it. Wow. <laughs> and the Little Bits workshop opened up in 2010. Almost 10 years from the point. It was about 9 years from the point we had gone to Russia. Mm. And what a ride it has been. Um, it's so cool. I what think, a ride. yeah, I think so often we can have, whether it's traveling or, or just whatever kind of experiences yep. we have in life. Um, and it can be very disheartening to not be able to, like if something inspires you that you want to do something specific mm -hmm. And if it doesn't happen within the first year of the revelation, mm -hmm. it's hard to like stick to it. Yes. And I think it's really beautiful that yep. Yep. Um, nine years later, yep. you're like still yep. slowly yep. chipping away I kept, at this dream. Yep. I that, kept journals and I drew pictures like how would I yeah. set it up and what would it be and what would the logo be and just very rough sketches. Yeah. So we went from... I don't know, four or five students a week to in the first months to now we have like 80 yeah. students a week, even yeah. during a pandemic. Yeah. Now. And you fill up. I mean, you're right. Yeah. Like it's first come first serve. Yep. You can't possibly yep. even now this year we're down a little. We've had to close our, keep our class level at a smaller and we're not in the schools after yeah. school. So at our peak, we had maybe 125 students a week, including the ones yeah. in the after school Because we'd run into you at Irving. Yes. When I would pick yes. up my kids. <laughs> Lily. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. And she's, Lily has done your classes yep, at she Irving. Yes. Yep. Yep. So she loved those. Even now, we have, I think we're around 80 kids a week. God has protected us. Not one of my teachers has had COVID, mm. not one outbreak has occurred mm -hmm. among our students. I think some of our students have had it, but it's not been not like from, you yeah, know, the studio. 10 people getting it. No, not from having been at the Little Bits workshop. And you yeah. have a little tent in your back, right? We have a tent. <laughs> <laughs> We've been like burning wood every day. <laughs> keep John warm. affectionately calls that oh. um, Mika's tent. Mika's tent. <laughs> Mika's tent, yeah. We have a wall tent. And a wall tent is something you might see out in Colorado on a hunting trip or something. Yeah. But it's been really great. Kids love it. Um, and you live in that same building now. Right? Over the past 10 years, we've slowly bought up the building. And in 2019, oh, wow. we bought the last unit. 
So we now own the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And during the, the pandemic, we decided we were using two units for workshops and we decided to rent one of those units out, which has been wonderful. We have two really good renters in the middle. We live on the top, workshops on the bottom, tent is in the backyard, <laughs> and we're rolling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, I, all I can say is it's taken on a life of its own. Uh, I get a lot of feedback from parents, especially now, thanking us for doing something. Mm. Every single class, except for one little mini class we have on Wednesday mornings, every class is overflowed. All our classes are full and closed. The kids who register, register again. Summer camps are about one-third of the way full for this coming summer. Yeah. Um, well, as we're kind of winding down, I, I feel like I say this every time and I mean it. Um, like, I just feel like I... You know, if we had the rest of the day, go back and like yes. ask such specific questions on um, moments that you've shared. Yes. Um, as you reflect back on just the various phases of your life, what do you think God is forming in you and for what? Like, what? Why this journey? Yeah. Like, what, God, what is God doing in Lita? Yeah. Well, I've always tried to figure out, like, how can my artwork help people mm. and kids? And, and maybe even a bigger question, how can my art bring hope mm. and share the gospel somehow? And with the workshop, I... I I've never really used that platform to share my faith necessarily. Um, I like to think that I live it, mm. but I'm not like out on the corner preaching the gospel. But um, recently, in the past couple of years, I have had the opportunity to be here at the field school. And that has been a tremendous opportunity to show kids maybe a little bit about how creative God is. Maybe. Mm. Um, I don't know how long God will allow me to be a part of that. Maybe, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But being creative is just a little glimpse into God's hand. And I don't know if that's, I, it's, whatever I'm doing is definitely a calling. I'm not sure what God's doing with it. Mm. I get feedback from people. But what I really deeply want is people to find a spark of creativity in their own life, and particularly kids. Um, it is so important for kids to be able to be productive. Right now, not even with the pand pandemic, but with social media and electronics sort of gobbling up our time and our energy. I feel like it's a drain to, to creativity. Mm. Productivity is powerful. When you're producing something, it changes your spirit. It changes your mood. It actually creates a chemical change. Um, I read an article one time about how simply gardening or cooking or knitting creates endorphins. 
And for people who suffer from depression, being productive is like medicine. Mm. So now at this time when we're a little bit isolated, maybe we're kind of coming out of that, but for kids to have a tool of productivity and empowering them, maybe it becomes a business or a hobby or a company, what they do with their hands. Um, teaching kids to, to use their hands is so powerful. I feel like where we have been planted in the Oak Park River Forest community is so affluent. But when I started this, I realized that there's a poverty of skill. And parents have quit doing things with their hands. They hire gardeners and landscapers and housekeepers, and they take their clothing to the dry cleaners to put a button on. So I guess my goal is independence and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> teaching kids and maybe adults a little bit too, but this generation or this, this group of kids, how to be independent. Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking about your story and how God showed up as a protector for you. That's a mm -hmm. huge theme. And then I hear in your work, you so clearly showing the character of God, whether through your hands or, or your mouth. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, and... I'm just thinking about, too, the video that Nigel did when he uh, interviewed you. And, yeah. Um, you had a whole, you went up your staircase and, you know, on every wall was a painting with a meaning. Mm -hmm. And then he turns a corner, like, what, two flights up? Yep. <laughs> and um, you say, in this exhibition is Pastor Gerald's sermons. Yes. And then you went on to... Share theology in striking imagery. And um, anyway, I guess all of this is boiling up to my question of, like, to your Calvary family who might know of you or might mm -hmm. know you personally or might know Mika or might know Nathan or, or um, I'm just wondering, like, is there a attribute of God right now that you're dwelling on that you yes. want to share? Yes. I think the work that I've done most recently is I have come to realize there's a deep, deep interconnection between creation and God, and he has woven this tapestry so beautifully. You cannot explain God out of existence. It is impossible. And only the fool says in his heart, there's no God. If you look at the cycles of the moon, which the painting that is right now up in Calvary mm. shows, God's timing with our bodies and the gestation of a child, that blows me away. I mean, <laughs> look at it. Do the math, <laughs> you know. The number 40, the numbers that show up in creation, the colors that show up in creation. I remember when I first started teaching at the field school, and I, I thought, well, we're going to start with primary colors. It's like the beginning. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. There are three of them. There's red, yellow, blue. Those three colors make all the colors. And you can mix in a little black and white or good and evil. But those three colors are like the Trinity, and it's like, wow, red is like Jesus. Yellow is like God the Father. 
and blue is like the Holy Spirit. Everything comes from the Trinity. And and I've started teaching preschool and you know everybody that takes yeah. fundamentals of art. Do you realize that God embedded the Trinity in our color system? <laughs> I mean, how can you explain that away? What a picture. And it's so simple. It is so simple mm. and basic. And we learn that. And I just feel like there's so much in creation. Uh, the stars in the heavens that don't move, we move. They've never moved. They're not going anywhere. Um, from the beginning of time, God has given us pictures all around us that point to him. And he's written his signature on every single thing around us. So. Lita, I feel like that's a great end to this interview. And um, I feel like I'm a broken record when I say thank you. I say thank you to everyone. And I genuinely mean it every time. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how the rest of my day will go <laughs> after like, I'm going to be processing your story. Yes. Um, and I, I think part of it is just like um, the beauty of the beauty of God taking like, you know, such a broken beginning, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. um, just like, um, like showing off how he can like redeem, Yes, you know, and, and I'm not saying your life is just this perfect walk in yeah. any way, yeah. right? That's yeah. not what I'm trying to say. You wouldn't want to say that either. Yeah. But just the, the, um, yeah, like he's just so wired you to do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And we all fumble along mm -hmm. with like trying to do what God's called us to do. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. feels like we're right in the middle of it on some days and feels like we're lost on other days. Yeah. But I just think like, as you were talking about working at the field school and just the um, gift you are to those kids beyond what they will even know, like all the decisions mm -hmm. you're making in day to day yeah. come mm -hmm. out of your whole story. Yeah. And, and you know, boy, and they don't know that they don't need to know that right. they don't, you know, but it's like, it's real yeah. and it's, it's a, it's affecting, you know, and I just think like that's just so encouraging and hopeful, as you said, um, that God is involved in that way, mm -hmm. you know, in the world. And um, yeah, I guess if there was a way to sum it up is, you know, I, my birth was probably a little unexpected. <laughs> my mom probably had a lot of reasons to end mm. the pregnancy. Mm. I don't know, and I, I should ask her, <laughs> but I don't know if she really wanted to marry my dad. <laughs> yeah. But God took that moment, and I, I hope he did something with my life, and I, I my goal is to be used yeah. by him. Yeah. yeah. And to also encourage parents who... Maybe are contemplating not being parents. Mm. Don't underestimate what God has given you. Mm. Um, every single life is very precious. So, yeah. Calvary family, I hope you have enjoyed uh, this interview with Lita Forsyth. 
Um, thank you for continuing um, this journey with us as we continue Stories of Calvary. Stories of Calvary is not about accumulating episodes for a podcast. Stories of Calvary is not about trying to accumulate a feeling of accomplishment. It's about sharing real stories of our real brothers and sisters in Christ and feeling a genuine sense of knowing each other, being willing to pray for each other, living life together. And I hope this is accomplishing that in your life as you listen to the stories of your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are a guest listening in and not a part of the Calvary family, we love to have guests in our family (laughs) and our faith family. And so thank you for listening in and um, until next time. Goodbye.